Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resource Podcast. I'm Brenda, your host, and I am excited that you guys are here. Um, If you are first-time listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. The show is a lot of fun. It provides a lot of helpful information. That's what it's designed to do um, on how companies can really shore up their best practices when it comes to the human resource platform. It's really meant for individuals who have been doing this for a while but may not have gotten a lot of exposure. It is for individuals who are brand new to the industry. It's for people who just want to learn a little bit more about HR and it is for business owners and operators as well. So um, the goal is to provide a, a good chunk of information that you can take back and use any given moment, any given time and uh, I'm really excited you guys are here and if you are a returning listener thank you so much I love having you guys back I really cannot do this show without you so thank you so very much and uh, so today we got another lineup ready to go Um, we are going to be looking at employment law changes across the nation our main topic today is a a while ago I did an episode uh, regarding questions that employees ask and this is going to be kind of like a part two of this one called employee questions that will haunt you in honor of this week being Halloween we've got uh, at the end of it we'll have some announcements Um, we will actually we're going to forego the question the HR question of the day simply because we're going to have a lot of questions coming out of this main event But I am going to tell you how you guys can get best practices delivered right to your inbox. And before we go on, folks, just remember that, please, the information available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any kind of legal advice. Should you uh, have a question or a problem and you need to obtain legal advice, please make sure that you contact your attorney with respects to those particular issues. And if you do not have an employment attorney, you may go ahead and reach out to me and I might be able to refer you to one through our affiliates program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. So today, employment law changes across the nation. Not a lot, <clears throat> uh, but a couple of hard-hitting ones too. So over several episodes we've been between focusing in on it as a main topic and just a smattering of updates every now and again uh, cannabis has yet come uh, back up into the headlines again and the National Safety Council has made a statement that no level of cannabis use is safe or acceptable for safety sensitive positions and this is a changing landscape Um, I'm surprised we haven't heard much about it recently Uh, There has been a lot of movement uh, when it comes to cannabis and the legalization of it at the state level. The federal level is not budging, folks. So it has now created a landscape of what's called patchwork law. 
and as a result this statement is being made um, as one many targeted that New York City has already made changes that will go into effect in the early part of 2020 to where employers are now no longer prohibited to test for THC uh, for pre-employment drug screening and that also now excludes or it always has excluded um, <clears throat> anybody that is in a safety related or safety sensitive position you know that excludes uh, police officers firemen uh, line workers things like that so any anywhere where the public safety is of concern and <clears throat> if you want to know more about that definitely if you're up in New York you want to take a look at that but the National Safety Council has come out and made it formal in their position um, which is um, so we're starting to starting to kind of it's not so blobby anymore that's <laughs> the best way you can put it it's like a forming body of, of active you know knowledge and law so um, it stay tuned because it's not done I promise you it's gonna it's gonna go on and eventually eventually it's gonna wind up hitting the Supreme Court so um, California Court of Appeals has appealed <clears throat> excuse me let's try that again California Court of Appeal has clarified that meals and rest period premium calculations and the enforcement rounding policies are now out so if you guys are in California, um, the Court of Appeals has actually made clarification to the ruling on meal and rest period premium calculations. So you are going to want to dip into that. Also in California, uh, there is a new flex spending account notice requirement for employers they need to adhere to. And then also uh, California has updated its data breach notification law. So out in California you guys have some homework to do. Uh, down in Florida uh, in the beginning of 2020 uh, Florida will have an increase in minimum wage and that actually takes effect uh, January 1st so you're gonna wanna look into that. A couple things coming out of Pennsylvania um, <clears throat> Pennsylvania is actually considering raising the minimum salary for overtime exempt workers to $45,500 as a threshold so this is a kind of a new direction that the country is taking to where even though uh, Fair Labor Standards Act is we're waiting for the final determinations um, and rollout of everything that's coming through when it comes to that some states are already starting to already set those benchmarks and if you don't know what I'm referring to I'm referring to the thresholds of which determine an exempt and a non-exempt employee. <clears throat> Pennsylvania also now requires construction employers to utilize e-verify and e-verify if you don't know what that is that is an electronic verification database that is connected to the State Department and USCIS and verifies um, employment authorization for individuals so some states require usage of it if you're a federal contractor you are required to use it as of 2008 December 10th to be exact and um, and uh, not every state does require it but um, with the increase in ice raids and the discovery of undocumented workers that are out there in the workforce I have a funny feeling that e-verify is probably going to be utilized more and more and more 
And then finally, San Antonio <clears throat> approves new paid sick leave ordinance that actually goes into effect the 1st of December. So if you guys are in those states, you have some homework to do and some preparation to get things uh, moving forward and make sure that you're buttoned up and compliant. The good news is that majority of it actually doesn't start until the beginning of January. So today's episode is meant to be fun and it's meant to give a little pause and credence and give you guys a little bit of a break from some of the serious aspects of our life and work and jobs and all that good stuff. And in the tradition of Halloween, everybody likes to be scared. Well, I've got about 23 questions here that I've researched online that employees ask about companies and HR and laws and stuff like that. So these are the top 23 questions that will pretty much haunt any employer and uh, scare the bejesus right out of you. So um, we'll talk a little bit about with these. I'm going to give you my impressions again like I did the last time <clears throat> of what I where I think these could be coming from and what kind of problems that these could uh, create for employers. So uh, I know a lot of you really enjoyed it the last time, so I decided to go ahead and resurrect in the spirit of Halloween and uh, scare the poop right out of all you. So <laughs> since I can't jump out and, and grab you from behind a corner, we'll just do it this way instead. All right, so first question. Can I have my boss arrested for not paying his employees when we know for a fact that he had the money to pay us but paid his bills instead? So <laughs> if I was an employer, I'd be very worried about that. And these are honest, legitimate questions that people ask. They go to, uh, you know, Q&A sites um, where anybody can weigh in. And what is even more scarier is that people that weigh in don't also either have the right information as well. So it gets a little interesting to read these and you, sometimes you just have to wonder, oh my gosh, what kind of environment is this like? So my guess on this one is that this is likely probably a blue collar environment, um, you know, mom and pop kind of built it out of the garage and it's the company's seen quite a bit of growth. Um, any employee who's interested in having their boss arrested um, for not paying his employees, uh, there's some there's some pretty high emotion going on there. So <clears throat> um, that definitely, if somebody were to come up to me and ask me that question, I would be very concerned about that business, and I'd be concerned about the people in it because that's that's a very high drama fueled environment. Okay, so next question. What can employees do if they suspect they've been fired for discussing salaries? And this one, in some of the discussion boards that I watch, and, and I pay attention to the discussion boards because I want to know, you know, what employees are asking. And this is one that has eh, come out a few times. I've seen every now and again. And back in the day, um, we used to be able to put policies in place that prohibited employees from actually discussing uh, things that we deemed uh, for employers as confidential as salaries. Well, then uh, several years ago, the National Labor Relations Board actually ruled that it is a concerted and protected activity. So <clears throat> it's one that, how do I want to say it? Some people see talking about their personal finances amongst each other is not very classy. We'll just put it that way. I don't really particularly find it classy, but it's amazing 
how often it actually does happen and people are all about comparing uh, each other's wages and paychecks and lives and we do it all the time you see it on social media we always compare everybody's highlight reel to our behind the scenes reel right so this is really no different and it's the one thing that actually will drive any small business leader or actually business leader of any kind actually kind of batty because especially if you've been around for a while we, we come from a position of you know you just don't do that you just don't talk about this stuff but <clears throat> it also brings up a level of concern in a CEO or leader's mind is that you know is somebody fishing for information um, that could potentially bite them in the future are they looking for uh, you know somebody who you know is trying to determine whether or not there's not a that there's an imbalance or are they trying to you know create problems for the company and it's it's just one of those questions that will just get you it'll just get you if you let it all right number three <clears throat> are there laws regarding the period of time an employer must notify an employee of their work schedule before the shift now that actually is a really good question and it depends so at the federal level no there is nothing out there but it depends on the state <clears throat> and some states will have uh, information that requires the employer to have schedules posted in a specific period of time. In addition to that, there are certain municipalities that require it as well. So it's not necessarily common, well, I would say it is common in the state, but it's more common at the municipality. And there are certain, there are certain states out there that do do this. So um, that's another reason why you want to know your, know your laws. That's a good thing. And it takes a long time to get there sometimes. All right. So next question, how is an issue with leadership best dealt with at work when HR has also turned you away? Now, when I hear this, um, one of two things are happening. <clears throat> Either they have a HR department that is really not a true HR department, so to speak, meaning that they just have somebody who's at an admin level, somebody who just puts information in and is not really a true certified, bona fide, with working, has been doing this as a career HR professional. <clears throat> or the employee didn't like the answer that HR provided and so therefore views it as being turned away. So, um, in my experience, it's usually how I've seen this through consulting and both internally is when somebody is not happy with the answer. Um, it's either because the person in the position is not as well versed or uh, the employee did not like did not like the answer because really, if you've got a true HR department, um, HR really is there to help facilitate an answer all the way through to the end. Okay, next question. What consequences would incur if an employer submits a position statement to the EEOC with incorrect information? Uh, that also, I thought, was an excellent question, but it makes me wonder, again, as to why. So there's obviously something that's fueling this, and there's more than likely the person that wrote this uh, does have an EEOC claim in place. It could also be just a student doing research. Um, but the consequences if the employer submits a position statement to the EEOC that has incorrect information well first and foremost if the EEOC determines that it's not correct they're probably going to lose and the, prob the claim is probably going to stick on behalf of the employer now 
if it's incorrect, as in it is incorrect because it was a legitimate mistake, or incorrect as it was a falsification of statement and falsification of fact. Both have happened. Um, if it was a falsification of fact, that's a very good question, which I do not know the answer to. However, um, knowing the EEOC, um, I can pretty much guarantee that if it was discovered that it was a falsification of fact, it's not going to go very well. <laughs> it's not going to go well for the company at all. Okay, so next question, and this is, this is a Virginia-specific question um, that I wanted to address since that's where I am. Can you get fired in Virginia if you accept a settlement from a workplace injury? And then it continues on to the question is, can workers' comp demand your company to fire you? So I'm going to answer the second half of this. <clears throat> um, because if you are accepting a settlement from a workplace injury, I'd, I've never known anybody to have a settlement unless they actually go to court. And you can still go to court with uh, with your employer, employer and still be legally, uh, like, hired. <laughs> still legally employed. So, um, so I'm going to disregard that section of it because workplace, workplace accidents, there's a, a very long process that goes with claims and stuff like that. But... I do want to address the can a workers comp demand your company to fire you. So when I hear this, this one haunts me a little bit <clears throat> because the question is, is why would somebody be under the impression that workers comp can is demanding your company to terminate you? First off, workers comp is just an insurance agency. That's all they do. And their responsibility under the letter of the law is to move insurance claims from first report a claim to closed when benefits are no longer paid out. The workers' comp insurance cannot tell you that or tell any company to terminate an individual. I mean, that's solely up to the decision of the company owners. It's a decision of the leadership, <clears throat> decision of the HR. Workers' comp can't really tell you to do it. If workers' comp is telling you to do it, then they're stepping far out of the bounds of what they should and shouldn't be doing as a insurance agency and two if you're accepting that information you're accepting it foolishly so just know that again when it comes to employment you know employers are the ones that make that determination at the end of the day whether they retain an employee or they don't and just because somebody is out on workers compensation leave or has a workers comp claim doesn't mean that the company is not unable to terminate them Companies can do whatever they want, and what I mean by that is, is that they can take whatever action they seem that they deem fit. However, every action has consequences to it. So if you are taking an action that is not in your best interest, you are going to get a bigger consequence attached to that. If you're doing your homework and your due diligence and you are taking an action that is in your best interest as a company, with the right strategy, with the right information, the right knowledge, the right actions in place, then your consequence will be minimized. So, uh, but every decision with a company has consequences to it. All right, so next question, number seven. I was paid 10 hours of work instead of 13 that I was scheduled for. How do I get fired because quitting is not an option? <laughs> so this is yet another question <clears throat> that 
creeps me out a little bit because you're talking about individuals uh, all the way around with zero integrity and to be honest with you that cannot be a great place to work so if an employee was paid 10 hours of work instead of 13 that they were actually scheduled for here's the thing you have to actually work it to be paid it instead of just scheduled for so if you were scheduled for 13 and you work 13 you're entitled to 13 if you're scheduled for 13 and you work 10 you're only entitled to get paid for 10 however if you work 13 and you only got paid for 10 then you need to speak to the employer to have the employer pay you if the employer refuses to do something like that well then an employee can actually take several different actions they can talk to the department of labor they can talk to their state's work uh, workplace or workforce um, I don't even know what you want to call it I know what we call it here their commission we will put it that way so there are steps that anybody can take in order to file a report that they have not been paid their full amount but ooh, man I would not want to have to continually deal with that on a regular basis so if all right, next question if somebody starts a job and tells a hiring manager that they cannot work on a certain days of the week can they schedule them on that day and fire them if they don't show up um, well they could but if you're just telling them and it's not in an employment application or you guys haven't come to a mutual agreement the employer may very well just schedule you and not really fully comprehend or understand or or set the expectation of specific days so that could just in and of itself be a complete misfire and a complete breakdown of communication so simply telling a manager that you can and can't work um, especially if they've got themselves prepared um, with an application or they've got you know a document that shows when they asked what your hours of availability are um, then you know obviously hopefully you've been part of you know the employees been part of filling that out however if they haven't then my question would be is why would anybody just simply want to schedule them to just fire them and um, if it's not a breakdown in communication which can be resolved and if it's just somebody doing something out of spite ick <laughs> not a relationship or you know again a, any type of environment that I would want to be want to be in okay question number nine what is the difference between workplace temporary employee discrimination and employment discrimination so I chuckled when I saw this <laughs> the first time I saw it and it's a it's a funny question it's a funny way to ask the question because there is no such thing as temporary employee discrimination and there's no such thing as employment discri discrimination there's discrimination that exists in employment um, so this is one of those funny questions that again an employee is looking for something that they can t in my opinion to tag the employer with and as an employer these are just things that you need to be aware of and be prepared to answer questions on if it should come up so regardless of whether you're permanent or temporary you know companies can't discriminate against employees and the definition of discrimination is very very specific as to what that is so it doesn't matter if you're temporary or it doesn't matter if you're permanent if you're an employee and you're being discriminated against as to how it's defined in title 7 or some other underlying discrimination laws that are out there um, that's where it's gonna hit that's where it's gonna matter but people do ask questions like that 
Okay, next question. What are some of the steps you can take to maintain confidentiality when using the telephone in the workplace? <laughs> so my question is, is what is this employee wanting to do on the telephone and how much is it going to cost the company? So uh, when employees ask those questions, it probably means that they're looking to rack up a bunch of long distance bills. Um, it also may mean that they don't have the best cell reception in the area or they don't have the ability to step outside to handle a personal matter like a family matter if they do have to have a conversation with a doctor for their kid or for themselves. You know, their question is going to be, you know, can they use, you know, what they can do. And, and you know, look, employers, it's okay for you, you know, employers to allow you to use the phone for something like that. But um, really, I mean... When it comes to confidentiality in the workplace, um, you know, there is no anticipation of privacy. There's no expectation of privacy with any using any company asset. And so uh, employers who <clears throat> are trying to take steps to ensure that employees have some level of confidentiality, just remember that there is no expectation of privacy and you want to be careful of not putting yourself in a position of, you know, exposing that. Um, will it be difficult or costly to have our company pull the phone records for a specific employee? So uh, I've had this in the past and the question, um, believe it or not, I've almost had this exact same question and I wouldn't say it's expensive, it's definitely timely. So if you have a, an employee that you suspect is sitting on the phone for hours and hours doing their work and is making long distance calls, is it impossible to pull? No. And, you know, the IT department will be able to do that. It's not very costly to do that. Um, it's it's going to take a while <laughs> because especially if you have multi-phone line, it'll take a while to figure out where exactly that call is routing from from a specific extension. So. Costly as far as labor cost, yeah, it'll, it'll start creeping up a little bit, but it shouldn't be that difficult to be able to pull phone records if you absolutely need it, and hopefully your company is set up so that you can pull phone records. Okay, next question. If you are on salary, how many hours can your employer make you work, and is there any limit by law? And that's a really good question. So right now, <clears throat> so this is telling me that we've got an employee out there who is asking the question, um, and it is probably more than likely just based off of a lot of conversations I've had about overtime when it comes to salary is this person is either new to a salaried position, has just transitioned from an hourly to a salaried position, um, has just taken a position and uh, is being worked excessively longer probably in the 60 plus hours a week and is just trying to find some facts more than likely to either figure out if their employer is breaking the law or understanding what the law is but my guess is that whoever's writing this question isn't going to be with that company for much longer and it's uh, as it sits right now um, salaried employees with there's one exception under FLSA uh, that where you can be salaried plus overtime you won't be exempt from overtime. You are uh, qualified to earn overtime. But, you know, again, <clears throat> we've got some changes that are coming down with FLSA and waiting for those final determinations to, um, to take hold and take place. So it is very likely. I'm not even going to go ahead and answer that question fully because it's a shifting landscape right now. But just understand, employers, these are questions that people are looking for the answers to. So... Um, if somebody gets their hands on the wrong answer, 
it can mean a great deal of headache and heartache. Okay, next question. Why do managers think that they can threaten or blackball employees to keep them from quitting, in parentheses, to prevent them from getting another job elsewhere? So, so again, this is a pretty highly charged question, and it sounds like whoever wrote it is in the middle of some form of dispute with their employer. And it's really kind of a, an interesting question uh, in how it's written. Um, how do why do many managers think they can threaten or blackball employees to keep them from quitting so first off threatening an employee and blackballing employee if you blackball an employee that means that they can't work for the company at least that's my interpretation um, and why would you want to blackball them to keep them from quitting it's, it's really kind of a unique question but nonetheless I pulled it because it is a unique question and these are some of the things that people put out there um, but the part that I do want to address is the stuff that's in parentheses, and this is to prevent them from getting another job elsewhere. So first off, employers may not prohibit employees from working another job and take away or prohibit their an individual's right from earning a living uh, in another capacity. However, uh, they can limit the type of work only to the point where it doesn't create a conflict of interest between uh, the primary job and the secondary job. So if you are the employer and you are the if the employee is full time then you're then you are the primary job. If they go and get another job, part time job elsewhere at a competitor you can restrict that. What you can't do is you can't prohibit the employee from becoming a part time employee with another company like I said unless it um, you know is a uh, a conflict of interest. So let's say for example you have an individual who you own a pet store and they are your full-time employee at the pet store and because they love pets so much they need more money and you can't uh, you know afford to give them more than 40 hour weeks then they go and they get a part-time job at your competitor on the days that they don't work that you can actually prohibit. So all right, next question. Is it legal for a company owner to inform the employees that they are not allowed to discuss their salary or wages? If not, what recourse do they have? So we mentioned this earlier um, that you know they can no longer <clears throat> uh, under the guide under the guides that we were getting from the National Labor Relations Board, uh, they cannot restrict employees from discussing their salary wages wages. But the next part of that question is if not, what recourse do they have? And the answer to that question is that if they are not permitted or to refrain, if they are not permitted to restrict employees from having those conversations, their recourse is not very strong. They don't really have very much as a result of it. Um, and so it's one of those things you just kind of have to grin and bear it as an employer. But if it's something that is out there to where it is egregious to the point where somebody is actually disrupting the workforce by having this constant conversation, you can address having conversations that are not part of the actual person's work. In other words, you have to be very careful about it too um, because you know they are talking about a workplace condition, but you can advise them that they need to make sure that they are focused on their work and not talking about other topics that distract them from getting their job done. That you can do. Alright, next question. This is this one is a real haunter right here. This one would definitely keep me up if I knew any of my employees 
we're thinking about this in my company. Are you ready? The next question is, what is the best way an employee can get revenge against their employer without losing their job or after they have been terminated? Now that is, oh man, <clears throat> I think this is probably every employer's nightmare question right here that can somebody try and get revenge? And you know what? There's a lot of different ways that employees can create what I refer to create problems for former employees, uh, employers, excuse me. And um, I always wonder when I, when anytime I've executed a separation of any kind or a termination, I always wonder what is going to come out of this type of question. How can I get back at the company? How can I get back at the person that fired me? How can I do this? And and somebody who is emotionally charged to be able to ask this question, get an answer, and execute on it is a it's a very expensive, long, drawn out process, and it's something definitely, definitely be mindful of. But this is one question that actually, I'll be honest with you, my career has haunted me every time I've separated from somebody. Okay, next question: My boss is a total bully, and we do not have an HR department. What can we do? Um, that is also kind of a question that would keep me awake um, had I been in the HR department even though they didn't have one. If I was another manager I would wonder what the future of the company is like. So again that's just an illustration of what kind of questions employees are actually out on these chat boards looking for answers on. I thought this one was funny, this next one. <laughs> it's like, are federal employees allowed to drink alcohol on their lunch break? I'm fairly certain the answer is no. <laughs> so whoever's writing that has obviously seen something and is uh, going out and about in the uh, public opinion and public court of information there to get some information. So yeah, that's a little scary. Next question. Can a company reduce your earned paid time off to get per year... Let me try that again. Some of these aren't always written well, so I have to redo them. Can a company reduce your earned paid time off you get per year from 120 hours of vacation down to 80 vacation and 40 sick when sick is capped at 40 hours? And are there and there are already pre-approved vacations that are affected by the vacation reduction? So if a company is eliminating their entire PTO bucket, and they are making the change to split 80 vacation or 40 sick or however they're doing it. It is likely because <clears throat> you guys are doing this because of paid sick leave laws that are out there right now, both at the federal level, especially with government contractors, and then certain states are requiring this. And part of the reason why companies are going back to a split um, breakdown between vacation and sick is because employers don't want to find themselves in a situation where the entire PTO bucket is now protected uh, under the uh, Paid Leave Act right? or the state version of it. So this is one of those things where best advice is, is that if there are already pre-approved vacations that are going to be affected by the vacation reduction, those are things that you guys would want to look for and hopefully um, you're of a size to where you have a, an HRIS system with a, a time capture, a PTO approval process where you can actually look and see what kind of PTO has already been scheduled and approved. It's in the system 
Um, if you don't have that process, I highly recommend you get that in place so that all PTO requests are driven into the time capture um, and the time management system for exactly this reason is that it gives widespread exposure so then that way when a company is doing an analysis to make a big decision like this that they can actually see the real picture of it. Some employees like yours truly when I was an employee would actually plug in all of my vacation time way in advance. I mean literally I would get done with Christmas break and I would already put my next year's vacation in just simply because I didn't want to forget doing it and I wanted it approved and out of my hair. So uh, that can definitely be a challenge, but um, that is also one of those things that when you're initiating change of any kind, you are definitely going to want to think ahead, look ahead, plan ahead, and analyze before you actually make a move. All right, next question. Is it legal? Anytime a question says, is it legal? It just makes my skin curl a little bit. Is it legal to fire somebody for something that they do when they're not at work? Well, it kind of no. <laughs> if it doesn't relate to their job then so yeah so this is telling me that somebody probably is either about ready to do something or has done something and has faced the uh, termination court here and is separated but no typically <clears throat> if it if, is it legal to fire somebody for something that they do when they're not at work I mean unless you're talking about horrifically egregious. Um, let's say for example one of your employees um, was criminally charged with sexual assault. That's something you would certainly want to consider. Um, if you have somebody that worked at a daycare and they were charged with sexual assault of a minor then yeah you're gonna wanna certainly put some serious consideration into that because you do have a legal obligation to protect your environment so I would say if those types of things happen outside of the workplace you I wouldn't say fire them right away you, you definitely have to do your due diligence you have to put the light re, the correct legal strategy in place and you also have to remember that if they're charged with it that doesn't mean that they've necessarily been found guilty until they actually go to court so um you know you can you can talk to your employment attorney about a strategy where you put that person on an indefinite leave until their or a leave until their uh, their trial has been uh, concluded you can talk to your employment attorney about terminating them and get that kind of feedback as to whether they believe that is the right course of action or not so typically no I, it, but there are some pretty extenuating circumstances and certainly ones that are that significant to where yes it is something that is well worthwhile considering so I'm not going to completely rule that one out but but somebody asking me that uh, not asking me but asking that question openly um, tells me that probably somebody did get fired for doing something that they probably was a really bad decision and maybe it was warranted maybe it wasn't but they are fishing for answers and they are looking for justification and that's that's kind of what a lot of these questions are about okay so we got four more here so is your employer allowed to fire people if they catch wind <clears throat> that they are trying to unionize wow and that answer is absolutely not um, if a company was to fire an individual because they are of the belief that that individual is attempting to unionize um, that is a very egregious violation against the national labor relations act it is something that will get a company into significant 
hot water, but this question tells me that there's a consideration to start the movement to get a union to come in. So that would definitely haunt me if I saw that question pop up, especially if it was targeted at my particular company. Uh, next question. Is it legal for a store manager? <laughs> Sorry. This one is definitely off the chain. Is it legal for a store manager to lock their employees in the store and tell them no one is leaving until all the work is complete, even though the shift has ended? All I will say to the beginning of this is that if I was the HR manager for this particular company, I would definitely want a full bottle of Jack Daniels ready <laughs> when I got home that day. That is going to be a very long day. So, um, but believe it or not, look, these crazy things come up and they, they happen. So the answer is no, it is not, I don't know if it's legal or not, but I wouldn't do it if I was a store manager. It all depends on the context. Could an employee feel that they were, you know, restrained or withheld without their permission? Absolutely. Could it mean that, uh, you know, the store manager could be, you know, criminally responsible for something? Sure, it depends on how far the employee wants to push it. Um, but is it uncommon for a store manager to lock the doors of a location after hours when the store is closed? And the answer is it is required because there's a safety factor that is here. Not to mention you also don't want customers coming in after hours when your store is closed. So is it is it logical for an employee or to a for a store manager to lock the doors once the store is closed? Yes, it, you'll find a lot of loss prevention policies actually do require that. But being but just locking the store and telling them that they are not permitted to leave until the work is complete, even though the shift has ended, that could be in the gray area. Um, it is one thing to lock the doors and you explain to everybody that all the work needs to be done prior to their leaving. That's one thing, but when their shift is over, the shift is over. So um, if the work doesn't get done, then that's why store managers are in the position they're in is to figure out how you get things taken care of. So next question, what legal course should I pursue? <clears throat> My plant manager burst through the stall door while I was on the toilet. Yes, you just heard me say that. Are there specific precedents that I can use to win my case? And what is the law based around this conduct in the workplace? Well, I'm not an attorney. But if a plant manager bursts through the stall door while anybody is using the restroom, uh, there's some pretty significant, pretty significant problems going on there. And um, again, we've got a level of maturity in a work environment that is not very high and uh, there's going to be some significant issues coming out of that company so uh, I threw this one in uh, for humor uh, because I'm, I'm sure it has happened I have no doubt it happened and uh, I think this person is just trying to figure out what direction to go in but my gosh I would not want to be the I would not want to be the apex leader that got that that got this information so Last question. As an employer, when is it acceptable to present the I-9 form? Um, most of you who are listening know enough about I-9s to know when. However, this question continues and this is really scary. Is it okay to have the employee fill it in the reception area before the interview or should it be filled after the interview? 
So this is a horrific example of profiling. And if this person is asking this question because they ran into this problem, um, somebody needs to re-educate individuals uh, who are handing out the ionines because the ionine is extremely prohibited from uh, being used prior to an interview to determine whether or not an individual is eligible to work in the United States or authorized to work in the United States or not and it should not be completed until the employee's first day of work. So those are the 23 questions that employees are out there asking that will absolutely haunt you if you look for them and if you know that they're out there. Um, some of them are a little entertaining, others are just creepy, creepy, creepy. So folks, if any of those lessons and, and pieces and nuggets of information have been helpful, then um, hopefully it's not your employee asking the question. So, But I wanted to re-illustrate those things because these are questions that employees do ask. And there's been something that has happened in the workplace that prompts them to do this. And it's ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. So, um, so there you have it. Those are the top questions that will haunt you. Happy Halloween. And we are wrapping up this episode. Got a couple announcements for you. Um, workshops that are still active and available for people to participate in in November. We have one opportunity left in November, and that is kicking off a successful uh, new year, which is both a live and a virtual opportunity. Uh, and then in December, we have helping grieving employees through the holidays. Again, that is two opportunities. Uh, one opportunity is a live and virtual. The other one is just a live. Um, you can go ahead and register today at bestpractices.org by clicking on the events tab and just, uh, finding the specific date and course that you are interested in participating in. Now, I've also opened up the U HR University by Best Practices, and it is uh, a library of online courses designed to help bring practical and current human resource knowledge to those practicing HR in the field. And the course content ranges from basic compliance to covering the more complex challenges in the industry. Now, we still have the, new, the most recent newest course out and available. It is the basic HR compliance. And what this is is that even if you don't do anything else, do these specific items and you will be able to obtain the most basic level of compliance in the field of human resources. We also have the course Understanding Generation Z, Hiring Talent for Employers, and the American with Disabilities Act for Employers out there as well. And when we open up and I release a course, um, we do have the 5 for 50 special offer. And what that is, is 50% 50 50 for the first five days after the course is released and it's a new course discount that will expire five days after right at midnight so take advantage of the special offering by clicking the HR University at the top of bestpractices.org website there's also the two books that are out holy cow I have to complete an I-9 and that is designated um, to accompany the USCIS M274 massive book on how to complete an I-9. It talks about how you retain your documents, what are some best practices, and then also what do you do if you were to get audited. There's also the Holy Cow I Have to Talk to My Boss book, and where I share the four rules to building a better relationship with your boss. You can find these books also up at the website as well. And I like to hear your questions. Today we are passing on the HR question of the day since we had so many 
um, as part of the main section of the body of this podcast. But um, I do love to hear what you guys have to say and what your questions are. And it's another really great way to get good inf- solid information out to the masses. So um, please feel free to go ahead and go to the website. <clears throat> from the menu down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. For those of you who want to find out how to follow me, got a new, I was a guest on a podcast with the Christoph Lewis um, podcast show, and that was a lot of fun. That is out and released as we speak. You are welcome to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube under my name, Brenda Neckbottle. Last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And again, you can find us on the website at bestpractices.work. Jump on the mailing list and get the latest and greatest of my best practices delivered right to your inbox. And I really appreciate you guys joining me again today for another episode. Stay tuned for next episode. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. We have U.S. Navy SEAL Jason Redman joining us, and we are going to be talking about some pretty serious conversations about how to manage trauma in the workplace. You don't want to miss this. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm so excited. It was a great time, great episode, and we're going to give you some live examples as well. So folks, take care, and I will talk to you all next time. Have a good one.